Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planeden, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development. So we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor, and strong for our own peace of mind. We are on the next chapter, 67, in my Psych 100 journey at Queen's University. So let's not waste a single minute delving in. Well, this should be an interesting topic. Prejudice, discrimination, and stereotyping. Oh boy, oh boy. How about that, hey? All right. People are often biased against others outside of their own social group, showing prejudice, emotional bias, stereotypes, cognitive bias, and discrimination, behavioral bias. In the past, people used to be more explicit with their biases, but during the 20th century, when it became less socially acceptable to exhibit bias, such things like prejudice, stereotypes, and discrimination became more subtle, automatic, ambiguous, and ambivalent. In the 21st century, however, with social group categories even more complex, biases may be transforming once again. The learning objective is to keep in the back of your mind as you listen to the podcast or watch this on YouTube is to distinguish prejudice, stereotypes, and discrimination. Distinguish old-fashioned, blatant biases from contemporary, subtle biases. Understand old-fashioned biases such as social dominance orientation and right-wing authoritarianism. Understand subtle, unexamined biases that are automatic, ambiguous, and ambivalent. And understand 21st century biases that may break down as identities get more complicated. Keep in the back of your mind, too, that I am a student and not a teacher. I'm simply sharing my journey. So let's get started. Introduction. Even in one's own family, everyone wants to be seen for who they are, not as just another to go typical X. But still, people put other people into groups, using that label to inform their evaluation of the person as a whole, a process that can result in serious consequences. This module focuses on biases against social groups, which social psychologists sort into emotional prejudices, mental stereotypes, and behavioral discrimination. These three aspects of bias are related, but they each can occur separately from the others. For example, sometimes people have a negative emotional reaction to a social group, prejudice, without knowing even the most superficial reason to dislike them stereotypes. This module shows that today's biases are not yesterday's biases in many ways, but at the same time, they are troubling similar. First, we'll discuss old-fashioned biases that might have belonged to our grandparents and great-grandparents, or even the people nowadays who have yet to leave those wrongful times. Next, we will discuss the late 20th century biases that affected our parents and still linger today. Finally, we will talk about today's 21st century biases that challenge fairness and respect for all. Old-fashioned biases. Almost gone. You would be hard-pressed to find someone today who openly admits they don't believe in equality. Regardless of one's demographics, most people believe everyone is entitled to the same natural rights. However, as much as we now collectively believe this, not too far back in our history, this ideal of equality was an unpracticed sentiment. 
of all the countries in the world. Only a few have equality in their constitution. And those who do originally defined it for a select group of people. At the time, old-fashioned biases were simple. People openly put down those not from their own group. For example, just 80 years ago, American college students unbadishly thought Turkish people were cruel, very religious, and treacherous. So where did they get those ideas, assuming that most of them had never met anyone from Turkey? Old-fashioned stereotypes were overt, unapologetic, and expected to be shared by others, what we now call blatant biases. Blatant biases are conscious beliefs feelings, and behavior that people are perfectly willing to admit, which mostly express hostility towards other groups, while unduly favoring one's own group. For example, organizations that preach contempt for other races and praise for their own is an example of a blatant bias. And scarily, these blatant biases tend to run in packs. People who openly hate one out-group also hate many others. To illustrate this pattern, we turn to two personality scales next. Social Dominance Orientation. Social Dominance Orientation, or SDO, describes a belief that group hierarchies are inevitable in all societies and are even a good idea to maintain order and stability. Those who score high on SDO believe that some groups are inherently better than others, and because of this, there is no such thing as group equality. At the same time, though, SDO is not just about being personally dominant and controlling of others. SDO describes a preferred arrangement of groups with some on top, preferably one's own group, and some on the bottom. For example, someone high in SDO would likely be upset if someone from an outgroup moved into his or her neighborhood. It's not that the person high in SDO wants to control what this outgroup member does. It's that moving into this nice neighborhood disrupts the social hierarchy the person high in SDO believes in, i.e. living in a nice neighborhood denotes one place in the social hierarchy, a place reserved for one's in-group members. Although research has shown that people higher in SDO are more likely to be politically conservative, there are other traits that more strongly predict one's SDO. For example, researchers have found that those who score higher on SDO are usually lower than average on tolerance, empathy, altruism, and community orientation. In general, those high in SDO have a strong belief in work ethic that hard work always pays off and leisure is a waste of time. People higher on SDO tend to choose and thrive in occupations that maintain existing group hierarchies, for example, police, prosecutors, business, compared to those lower in SDO who tend to pick more equalizing occupations, social work, public defense, psychology. The point is that SDO, a preference for inequality as normal and natural, also predicts endorsing the superiority of certain groups, men, native-born residents, heterosexuals, and believers in the dominant religion. This means seeing women, minorities, homosexuals, and non-believers as inferior. Understandably, the first list of group tend to score higher on SDO, while the second group tends to score lower. For example, the SDO 
gender difference, men higher, women lower, appears all over the world. At its heart, SEO rests on fundamental belief that the world is tough and competitive with only a limited number of resources. Thus, those high in STO see groups as battling each other for these resources, with winners at the top of the social hierarchy and losers at the bottom. And they have a nice table one here with the social dominance orientation and the white ring authoritarianism. So take a look, because these are the old-fashioned biases. Well, let me give you an example. Core belief, social dominance orientation. Groups compete for economic resources, whereas the right-wing authoritarianism is groups compete over values. Right-wing authoritarianism. Right-wing authoritarianism, RWA, focus on value conflicts, whereas SDO focuses on the economic ones. That is, RWA endorses respect for obedience and authority in service of group conformity. Returning to an example from earlier, the homeowner who's high in SDO may dislike the outgroup member moving into his or her neighborhood because it threatens one's economic resources, for example, lowering the value of one's house fewer openings in the school, etc. Those high in RWA may equally dislike the outgroup member moving into the neighborhood, but for different reasons. Here it's because this outgroup member brings in values or beliefs that the person high in RWA disagrees with, thus threatening the collective values of his or her group. RWA respects group unity over individual preferences, wanting to maintain group values in the face of differing opinions. Despite its name, though, RWA is not necessarily limited to people on the right, conservatives. <laughs> like SDO, there does not appear to be an association between this personality scale, i.e. the preference for order, clarity, and conventional values, and conservative beliefs. <laughs> However, regardless of political ideology, RWA focuses on groups' competing frameworks of value. Extreme scores on RWA predicts biases against outgroups while demanding in-group loyalty and conformity, notably. Combination of high RWA and high SDO predicts joining hate groups that openly endorse aggression against minority groups, immigrants, homosexuals, and believers in non-dominant religions. 20th century biases, subtle but significant. Unfortunately, although many have hoped that overt prejudice and prejudice behaviors were part of our history, it is clear that they are not. These are not the only form of damaging biases, though. Sometimes biases exist in people. They're just more subtle. These subtle biases are unexamined and sometimes unconscious, but real in their consequences. They are automatic, ambiguous, and ambivalent, and nonetheless are biased, unfair, and disrespectful to belief in equality. Automatic biases. Most people like themselves well enough, and most people identify themselves as members of certain groups, but not others. Logic suggests then that because we like ourselves, we therefore like the groups we associate with more, whether those groups are our hometown, school, religion, gender, or ethnicity. Liking yourself in your groups is human nature. 
The larger issue, however, is that own group preference often results in liking other groups less. And whether you recognize this favoritism is wrong, this trade-off is relatively automatic. That is unintended, immediate, and irresistible. Social psychologists have developed several ways to measure this relatively automatic own group preference, the most famous being the Implicit Association Test, or IAT. The test itself is rather simple, and you can experience it yourself if you Google implicit or go to understandingprejudice.org. Essentially, the IAT is done on the computer and measures how quickly you can sort words or pictures into different categories. For example, if you're asked to categorize ice cream as good or bad, you would quickly categorize it as good. However, imagine if every time you ate ice cream, you got a brain freeze. When it comes time to categorize ice cream as good or bad, you may still categorize it as good, but you will likely be a little slower in doing so compared to someone who has nothing but positive thoughts about ice cream. Related to group biases, people may explicitly claim they don't discriminate against outgroups, and this is very likely true. However, when they're given this computer task to categorize people from these outgroups, that automatic or unconscious hesitation, a result of having mixed evaluations about the outgroup, will show up in the test. And as countless studies have revealed, people are mostly faster at pairing their own group with good categories compared to pairing other groups. In fact, this finding generally holds regardless if one's group is measured according to race, age, religion, nationality, and even temporary insignificant memberships. This all-too-human tendency would remain a mere interesting discovery except that people's reaction time on the IAT predicts actual feelings about individuals from other groups, decisions about them, and behavior towards them, especially non-verbal behavior. For example, although a job interviewer may not be blatantly biased, his or her automatic implicit bias may result in unconsciously acting distant and indifferent, which can have devastating effects on the hopeful interviewee's ability to perform well. Although this is unfair, sometimes the automatic associations, often driven by society stereotypes, trump our own explicit values. And, sadly, this can result in consequential discrimination, such as allocating fewer resources to disliked groups. We have a table, two here, for a summary of this section and the next two sections on subtle bias. So I'll give you, for instance, if you're listening to this on the podcast, the type of bias, the example, and what it shows. So automatic is the IAT, or implicit association test. People link good or in-group bad and outgroup, ambiguous and ambivalent. Those are the different subtle types of bias. So let's get into the ambiguous biases. As the IAT indicates, people's biases often stem from the spontaneous tendency to favor their own at the expense of the other. Social identity theory describes this tendency to favor one's own group over another's outgroup. And as a result, outgroup disliking stems from this in-group liking. For example, if two classes of children want to play on the same soccer field, the classes will come to dislike each other, not because of any real objectionable traits about the other group, 
The dislike originates from each class's favoritism towards itself and the fact that only one group can play on the soccer field at a time. With this preferential perspective for one's own group, people are not punishing the other one so much as neglecting it in favor of their own. However, to justify this preferential treatment, people will often exaggerate the differences between their in-group and the out-group. In turn, people see the out-group as more similar in personality than they are. This results in the perception that they really differ from us, and they are all alike. Spontaneously, people categorize people into groups just as we categorize furniture or food into one type or another. The difference is that we people inhabit categories ourselves, as self-categorization theory points out. Because the attributes of group categories can be either good or bad, we tend to favor the groups with people like us and, incidentally, disfavor the others. In-group favoritism is an ambiguous form of bias because it disfavors the out-group by exclusion. For example, if a politician has to decide between funding one program or another, he or she may be more likely to give resources to the group that more closely represents his in-group. And this life-changing decision stems from the simple, natural human tendency to be more comfortable with people like yourself. A specific case of comfort with the in-group is called aversive racism, so-called because people do not like to admit their own racial biases to themselves or others. Tensions between, say, a white person's own good intentions and discomfort with perhaps a novel situation of interacting closely with a black person may cause the white person to feel uneasy behave stiffly, or to be distracted. As a result, the white person may give a good excuse to avoid the situation altogether and prevent any awkwardness that could have come from it. However, such a reaction will be ambiguous to both parties and hard to interpret. That is, was the white person right to avoid the situation so that neither person would feel uncomfortable? Indicators of aversive racism correlate with discriminatory behavior, despite being the ambiguous result of good intentions gone bad. Bias can be complicated. Ambivalent biases. Not all stereotypes about groups are all negative, though they may still be unwanted. For example, ethnic Asians living in the United States are commonly referred to as the model minority because of the perceived success in areas such as education, income, and social stability. Another example includes people who feel benevolent toward traditional women but hostile toward non-traditional women, or even ageist people who feel respect toward older adults, but at the same time worry about the burden they place on public welfare programs. A simple way to understand these mixed feelings across a variety of groups results from the stereotype content model. When people learn about a new group, they first want to know if its intentions of the people in this group are for good or ill. Like the guard at night, who goes there, friend or foe? If the other group has good cooperative intentions, we view them as warm and trustworthy and often consider them part of our side. However, if the other group is cold and competitive or full of exploiters, we often view them as a threat and treat them accordingly. After learning the group's intentions, though, we also want to know whether they are competent enough to act on them. 
If they are incompetent or unable, their intentions matter less. These two simple dimensions, warmth and competence, together map how groups relate to each other in society. So they have a figure one here to look at on the YouTube channel, the stereotype content model, four kinds of stereotypes that form from perceptions of competence and warmth. There are common stereotypes of people from all sorts of categories and occupations that lead them to be classified along these two dimensions. For example, a stereotypical housewife would be seen as high in warmth, but low in competence. Mm, don't agree with that, but that's my opinion. This is not to suggest that actual housewives are not competent, of course, but they are not widely admired for their competence in the same way as scientific pioneers, trendsetters, or captains of industries. Let's mm, see what they mean. At another end of the spectrum are homeless people and drug addicts, stereotyped as not having good intentions, perhaps exploitive for not trying to play by the rules, and likewise being incompetent, unable to do anything useful. These groups reportedly make society more disgusted than any other groups do. Some group stereotypes are mixed, high on one dimension and low on the other. Groups stereotyped as competent but not warm, for example, include rich people and outsiders good at business. These groups that are seen as competent but cold make people feel some envy, admitting that these others may have some talent but resenting them for not being people like us. The model minority stereotype mentioned earlier includes people with excessive competence but deficient sociability. The other mixed combination is high warmth but low competence. Groups who fit this combination include older people and, and disabled people. Others report pitying them, but only so long as they stay in their place. In an effort to combat this negative stereotype, disability and elderly rights activists try to eliminate that pity, hopefully gaining respect in the process. Altogether, these four kinds of stereotypes and their associated emotional prejudices, pride, disgust, envy, pity, occur all over the world for each of society's own groups. These maps of the group terrain predict specific types of discrimination for specific kinds of groups, underlying how bias is not exactly equal opportunity. Conclusion, 21st century prejudices. As the world becomes more interconnected, more and more people are encountering greater diversity of others in everyday life. Categories are becoming more and more uncertain, unclear, volatile, and complex. People's identities are multifaceted, intersecting across gender, race, class, age, region, and more. So it sounds like this is a necessary evil, doesn't it? And it's really quite fascinating to learn that us humans are, well, just human. <laughs> well, if you like the show, share it with somebody you know, and maybe give us a thumbs up or subscribe. I'd appreciate it. I'm wishing you a wonderful day, and I'm wishing you to lead a more inspired life.